Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you the story of Billy Cunningham. He is probably one of the least talked-about superstars in NBA history. Like many of the other players that we profile on this podcast, Cunningham is almost never talked about in conversations about the best players in history. That is one of the reasons I got the idea for doing this podcast is to keep alive the memory of these great players. But despite all of this, Cunningham has continually been recognized by the NBA. He was named to the 50 greatest players list in 1996, and last season he was named to the NBA's 75th anniversary list. Both of those are incredible honors. The people who put both of those lists together, which include basketball reporters as well as officials from the NBA, regularly recognize the playing career of Billy Cunningham. Yet, that official recognition rarely makes it into the conversations you might hear among a group of basketball fans. The guy, once known as the Kangaroo Kid because of his leaping ability, was truly an incredible player. Now, I will be honest here, as I was planning out this episode, I did so simply because Cunningham was on the recent NBA 75 list, and I realized that I did not know that much about Cunningham's playing career despite all of my years studying basketball history. I knew of Billy Cunningham more as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers when they won the championship in 1983. Billy Cunningham, the coach, almost seemed like a mild-mannered guy. He wore glasses and never gave me the impression that he used to be a player. So, let us get into the kind of player that Billy Cunningham was. He was a five-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, he was the MVP of the 1973 ABA All-Star Game, a member of the ABA's all-time team, and he was one of the core players on the 1967 NBA Championship 76ers team. I mean, the guy has all kinds of accolades and awards that any great player should have on their resume. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame as a player in 1986, but here is why I think he is not talked about more as a great player. For decent chunks of his playing career, he was not the best player on his team. Normally, when we think about the great players in history, many of these players spent time as the main guy of his team. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Dr. J, George Mikan, Will Chamberlain are just a few of the really great players who spent their entire careers as the main guy on their teams. And Billy Cunningham did not have that. He was one of those great players who fell into the same category as Dennis Johnson and James Worthy. Dennis Johnson is a Hall of Fame point guard who probably did not get the recognition he deserved because he spent a large part of his career playing alongside Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish. But that does not mean that he was not an all-time great point guard. Most players have no control over who is on their team with them. It is the same with James Worthy. He spent most of his career playing alongside Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson. 
Again, not his fault, but it should not take away from the fact that he was a fantastically gifted player and one of the hardest players to guard in NBA history. Billy Cunningham spent a part of his career in that same situation. He was drafted onto a 76ers team that already had Wilt Chamberlain, Hal Greer, Chet Walker, and Wally Jones. This team was already stacked when he joined. Yet, he was able to contribute 14 points and 8 rebounds per game for his rookie season. That is incredible considering the fact that Chamberlain was gobbling up 25 rebounds per game. But nobody should have been surprised by his output because he really was that good. He was born in Brooklyn, New York on June 3, 1943 and was essentially a New York City kid. He played his high school basketball at Erasmus Hall where he was the MVP of the Brooklyn League and was named a Parade All-American as one of the best high school players in the entire country in 1961. He was six foot six and could jump higher than everybody around him. He was like a vacuum when it came to rebounding. It seemed that he was grabbing every missed shot. With such a successful high school career, he then took his game to the campus of the University of North Carolina to become a Tar Heel. His record there was absolutely phenomenal. He was named All-Atlantic Coast Conference for all three years that he played on the varsity, and he was a 1965 ACC Player of the Year as the best player in one of the strongest conferences in the country. He once scored 48 points in a single game while at North Carolina, and also once grabbed 27 rebounds in a single game. For his three years playing at North Carolina, Carolina, he averaged 25 points and 15 rebounds per game. These are monster numbers. Anyone with those numbers today would very likely be the first pick in the entire draft, or at the very least, a top five pick. Now, he was a solid pick coming out of the draft that year, but it was a loaded draft. Also coming out of college in 1965 were Bill Bradley, Gail Goodrich, Rick Barry, and Jerry Sloan all of whom are multiple-time All-Stars and all of them fellow Hall of Famers. With the seventh pick in that draft, the 76ers selected Billy Cunningham. As I mentioned, he came in strong, averaging 14 points and 8 rebounds per game as a rookie and was named to the NBA's All-Rookie Team. He continued to develop his game surrounded by other future Hall of Famers. Chamberlain took a liking to him and became his mentor during Cunningham's rookie season. The thing that was weird about Will Chamberlain was that he did not live in Philadelphia despite being from there. His family still lived there. He went to high school there. He was born and raised in the city and was now playing for his hometown team, yet he lived in New York City. Chamberlain loved to drive fast and he often drove between the two cities either late at night or very early in the morning when rush hour traffic was not an issue. He could typically make the commute in two hours or less. Often, he would take Cunningham with him. He would say that he wanted to take a nap on the way back to New York, so he would have Cunningham drive. Cunningham would then spend the night in Wilt's guest room and then drive back with him to Philadelphia the next day so that Wilt could sleep some more. Essentially, Cunningham became Wilt's chauffeur for a year. But it was a great time to improve his skills without the pressure of having to lead the team. But his time would come. Now, this is a great place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the rest of our profile on Billy Cunningham. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. 
At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876 including t-shirts long sleeve shirts phone cases mugs blankets pillows towels and even shower curtains go to sportshistorynetwork.com row number one for access to the full row one catalog and for gallery prints and gift items plus get a 15 percent discount off all prints on the row one pictorum gallery with coupon code shn15 follow the link on the show notes Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co-authors of Phyllis George, Shattering the Ceiling, a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS, even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. We got into all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Auerbach, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volpone, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold, you know, within reason, garage sales, probably not. So go (laughs) ahead and pick up a copy today. And if you want a chance to win the book, you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win. Goodbye, old sports. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with our profile on Billy Cunningham. When we left off, Cunningham had just finished his rookie year with the Philadelphia 76ers. He came in and right away was a major contributor to the effort averaging 15 points per game. For his second year, he increased his scoring average to 18 points per game and helped the 76ers to defeat the Boston Celtics in the 1967 playoffs, ending their run of eight consecutive championships and winning the championship themselves. He maintained those same numbers in his third year, but the Celtics had retaken the throne as NBA champions. But in the summer of 1968, the 76ers decided to send Chamberlain to the Los Angeles Lakers. That opened things up for Cunningham. He immediately increased his scoring average to 25 points per game and increased his rebounding to 13 per game and made his very first All-Star game. He had emerged as a legitimate NBA superstar, but the team around him was aging quickly. The All-Star appearance was the beginning of a string of five consecutive All-Star games, including an ABA All-Star game. That is practically an entire story in itself. Now, at the end of the 1971 season, he signed a contract with the Carolina Cougars of the ABA, which would return him to the state where he played his college ball. But there was a dispute with the 76ers and a lawsuit was filed. He remained a member of the 76ers for another year while the lawsuit was making its way through the court system. In the end, he was allowed to join the Cougars and play two dominant seasons with them before returning to the 76ers. In that first year that he was gone from the 76ers, the team had the worst record in NBA history. They secured nine victories, 
against 73 losses that year, which is still the record for the worst single season of all time, not counting shortened seasons due to work stoppages. Cunningham returned to the 76ers in 1974, but the team was a shadow of its former self. Everyone from the championship team in 1967 was long gone, but the team was starting to put together something new with Fred Carter, Steve Mix, Tom Van Arsdale, and Doug Collins. Unfortunately for Cunningham, he was also aging, and by this time, he was 31 years old when he came back. The following year would turn out to be his last, as he tore cartilage and ligaments in his knee in the 20th game of the season, ending his playing career. What nobody knew at the time is that Julius Irving would join the 76ers just a year later as a result of the NBA-ABA merger. So what to do next? Billy Cunningham went into coaching. After just one season away from the game as a player, he was named an assistant coach by Gene Shu, who had coached Cunningham for his last couple of seasons as a player. However, after just six games into the 1977-78 season, Gene Shu was fired when the team started the season with a 2-4 record. Billy Cunningham was promoted to head coach only two weeks into his career as an assistant coach. Yet, what was remarkable about the decision was that Gene Shu had just coached the 76ers all the way to the NBA Finals the year before, where the 76ers lost four games to two to the Portland Trail Blazers. Now, you would have thought that the team would have given Shu the benefit of the doubt after a slow start, but the team felt that Cunningham was just what the team needed. And they were right. Cunningham only coached eight seasons in the NBA, all with the Philadelphia 76ers. He went to the playoffs every year under his leadership, going to the NBA Finals three times and winning it all in 1983. Just going by the numbers, it is one of the most successful coaching careers ever. He won 70% of his games as a head coach. Now, technically, his winning percentage was .698. But that number is easily rounded up to 70%. The only coach in NBA history to win a higher percentage of his regular season games is Phil Jackson. That is how good Cunningham was as a coach. Of course, it did not hurt that he had a bunch of Hall of Famers playing for him like Julia Serving, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks, and Bobby Jones. But it still required a high level of coaching skill to get a bunch of all-star players on the same page. And let us not forget that the team that they defeated for that championship in 1983 was the Showtime Lakers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Bob McAdoo, and defensive specialist Michael Cooper. That is no easy feat. After eight years as head coach of the 76ers, Cunningham moved into broadcasting. He also became one of the initial investors in the founding of the Miami Heat, and he later sold his minority position in that team. His number 32 is retired by the 76ers and hangs in the rafters alongside the jerseys of Charles Barkley, Will Chamberlain, Hal Greer, Allen Iverson, Dolph Shays, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks, Bobby Jones, and Julius Serving. His impact and contribution to the NBA as a player and a coach are as great as anyone who has ever come along. He was an incredible scorer, a rebounding machine, and a total team player. He deserves to be on the NBA 75 list as a player. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and he deserves to be remembered as one of the greats of the league. Now, join us next time when we share the story of the career of Coach Red Holzman, the only coach in New York Knicks history to win a championship and he won two of them. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. 
If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon. We'll be right back.